is worthy of his name. He is the Savior, the Healer, the Redeemer, our ever-present help in time of need. I'm going to invite you to stand at this time for the reading of God's Word. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is what we are studying through, and this morning will be specifically in verses 29 through 34. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. The Bible says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus is a healer, and those who have faith in you, oh, there is a day coming when you will take us by the hand, raise us up, and we will be healed forever. Father, I pray for us particularly in a day that's much like this one that we read about where we are seemingly more invested in physical things than spiritual that we would leave today rejoicing that our souls can be healed forever by Jesus. Would you do this for your glory in his name? Amen. Will you be seated? Uh, I love to read and uh, every once in a while I'll read something and think to myself, could that possibly be true? And I was reading a book, and it's a, little, it's a few years old, it's from 2015, and uh, it, it made this statement that in the last year, now the year is 2015, more photographs had been taken in just that one year than in all of history leading up to that year. In other words, there were more pictures snapped, pictures taken in 2015 that had been taken in 2014 and all the years that had come before 2015. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? To think in one year, more pictures had been taken than in all the previous years combined. And, and I read that and I thought to myself, is that possibly true? And then I told you that I spent the last week at Passion Camp with 6,000 young people. And let me tell you, I believe it. On Friday, when we got home, uh, we're going to share with Julie about how our week got, had, had gone, me and the two of my children that were there. And I, I set up on our TV through the Apple TV, the screen mirroring deal, so that I could go through the pictures and we could see it on the TV. And that might not be a big deal to you, but I'm just going to tell you, I was pretty proud of myself for having pulled that off. And I began to scroll through our pictures, and um, I only had like 14 pictures. In fact, we got to the end of my amazing slideshow, and Julie's first question was, is that all the pictures that you took? Now, I come from more of a Polaroid generation. Anybody with me? Flash pops out, and then what do you do? You hold it and you wave it. Like, that really did something. I don't know that that ever did anything. I, I come from the generation where mom snapped a picture at my birthday party when I was turning seven, and I might see that picture before I turned eight, or I might not. I mean, I'm from the generation you'd go to car drugs. Who's with me? You pay extra, and you might get them back in 24 hours. Well, that generation is, is gone, right? 
Now, I'm not going to do this, but if I went to our young people and asked them how many pictures you snapped while we were down there, I'm guessing it was more than 14. Now, I did not contribute heavily to the overall number of pictures taken at Passion Camp, but let me just tell you, pictures were being taken at Passion Camp. And I can't walk very far, and I have to stop because they're trying to snap a picture, right? And then they're snapping a picture. I don't want to be in your picture everywhere that you go. Now, of the thousands of pictures that we take, I'm guessing for you, there's a few that are particularly meaningful, right? I mean, if you could only keep five pictures of your lifetime, do you know which pictures that you would take? I, I, I know a few that I'd take. In fact, I would keep some that were taken on this day, 18 years ago. This is Julie and I's 18th wedding anniversary. Yes, you can by all means. That applause is for her and all that she has put up with for 18 years. I've got a picture of me with all four of my children, each in turn the day they were born, right? I mean, that's what I want. I want a picture. So I got a picture. I got one holding Mary Clara, holding Abel, holding Priscilla, holding Juliana. Snap my picture so I can remember this moment. I'm your dad, and I'm going to love you till the day I die. That's what the pictures say, because pictures speak, right? And they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And now that they're a little bit older, I keep any picture I can where I snap them and they're all four looking at the camera. I mean, that's the win now. They're all four looking. That's the keeper. But what I want to do is I want to walk through Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And we're just going to look at three what we'll call snapshots or three pictures. I've given a title to each one. And a picture is worth a thousand words, so we'll spend a little bit of time looking at what this picture of Jesus is. That's what the glory of the Gospel of Mark is, is it's like a picture album, and we can see what God's like. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, we can look at Jesus. And so uh, I don't know if you, if you did this. This is, this is kind of old school as well. You've got picture albums. I mean, you have to kind of be from years gone by. And we've got a few photograph albums like this at my mom's house where she puts it and then she writes a little caption. Anybody with me? You might have advanced onto the scrapbooking kind of deal, but we just have a picture. And our family, we didn't go into a lot of detail. It would just have a picture and it would say Christmas 1985, which is is enough information for you to remember where it is. So I've got a little caption. And under this first picture, here, here would be the little title. Picture number one is from synagogue to the house right? So we're going to snap the picture because it says here in Mark chapter 1 verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue. Remember that was what we studied last week. Jesus was in the synagogue and he was teaching. He, he left the synagogue and entered the house. And what I want you to do as we're looking at this picture is you see those words in your Bible, right? Synagogue and house. And the first thing I want you to see about Jesus is that when he moves from the synagogue, the place where that day they were gathered to worship and study God's word. When he left there and he goes to a private home, are you ready for this? He does not change. It's important, isn't it? When he goes from the place of worship to the private house, he's the same. You know you can trust him? He's not one way this day, one way the next day. He is the same. What does the Bible say? The same yesterday, today, and forever. 
the person he was in the synagogue standing up in front of everybody and teaching with authority is the same person. He doesn't change when he leaves the synagogue and goes to the house. He does not change his character on the basis of where he finds himself. And can we make the application here pretty straightforward, isn't it? We sinful human beings tend to change, don't we, on the basis of where we find ourselves in any particular moment, right? I mean, here we are at the worship service. Now, here's where the scripture is helpful, is how you are here, how you act or speak or what you talk about, different than the golf course or the workplace or what we'd really want to pay attention to today because it's the most important is in the house, right? And it is devastating. It is devastating, devastating, devastating in the life of a child. This is Father's Day. We're talking about fathers. If dad is some way here and another way there, you know what I'm saying? So a, a certain kind of person here and then a different way at home. And Jesus will go to the synagogue, he'll go to the house, he'll go to the temple, he'll go to the grave and he'll come up out of there too and he's going to be the same. I know I can be this way, I can be like a chameleon a little bit, adapt to my surroundings, right? It's, it's, it's interesting, there's a question I get asked when, if I'm around, um, if I'm around new people in particular, it's a very common question. Happened not too long ago at a particular place, and I was there, and I didn't know a lot of people. They asked me, what do you do? And I always say, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And you can always see a change, right? And this is kind of getting what I'm talking about. Now, now we, in fact, I was there, and some things had already been said, and then I said, I'm a pastor, and they immediately said, well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said what I said. Well, you say what you said, if that's who you really are. Because we, we feel this sort of pressure to be one way here and another way other places. It makes sense, right? But Jesus doesn't change. He was a man of power and compassion in the synagogue, and he's going to be the same way at Peter's house. So we need grace on two fronts when it talks about this. If, if um, one way in the synagogue and another way at the house, so to speak, who's the real you, by the way, most likely? Most likely the real you is the home you, right? So we need grace on two fronts. First of all, we need grace to be who we really are when we are with our church family. Amen? We need to be liberated from the burden of pretense and we be honest with one another. And this is the real us. And second, we also need the grace of God to transform us so that the real us is patient and kind and helpful and loving. And I want Jesus to work in my life in such a way that Julie would be able to say 18 years into marriage, Brandon's more like Jesus than he was back in 2001. And I want Mary Claire and Abel, Priscilla, Juliana can say, Daddy drove me to the Lord, not away from him. So it's helpful to look at this, isn't it? He left the synagogue and entered the house. And whose house does he enter? House of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law lives there too. That lets us know that Simon's a married man. But what I'd like to emphasize from just this little tidbit is Jesus goes into his home knowing everything that's coming with Peter, right? Now we know the night before Peter denied him three times, Jesus looked at him and said, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me, or not the rooster crows, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But he could have told him here, couldn't he? He could have told him in this moment. And what I want you to see 
is that Jesus still walks into his house. Amen. This is good news. Just think about it for your life. I don't know what your lunch plans are, but what if Jesus is coming to your house for lunch today? Anybody feel compelled? Well, can you told them to tell them, hold on, I need to go straighten up a little bit, right? At least get the living room halfway picked up. Anybody else? Is this me? Okay. But then would you feel compelled? Well, we kind of got to get everybody together and got to let them know when he gets here, we can't act like we usually act, right? Can't talk to the way to it. But you know where I'm going with this, right? It's not like he doesn't already know. But I want you to know, friends, that Jesus loves, pursues, comes after the real you. He does. He walks into Peter's house, and he doesn't say, well, Peter, before we go in the house, I need to tell you a few things about your sorry old self. See, we think sometimes we need to change before Jesus can come to the house, right? But can I tell you something? You might be thinking, I need to cut the grass, or I need to get rid of some things. We need to have a yard sale, right? In fact, we might need to go to the dump a few things. We, we, we might need to go to the trash bin and get rid of some stuff before Jesus comes in. So here's, here's, here's what's important. And Peter will back us up on this. You don't change, and then Jesus comes to the house. Jesus comes to the house, and then you change. And that is very important that we get that order correctly, right? Some people think, i got to get my life straight now before I come to God. Well, friends, that's not ever going to happen. Because when Peter and Andrew and James and John walk into that house, the one that's going to change them comes with them. It's Jesus. He works way down deep in the inner person. You don't have to turn here. Just listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, this Apostle Paul says, that according to the riches of his glory, God will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, listen to this phrase, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you hear one more time? You'll be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So do you know where God works? He works in the inner man. Amen? Way down deep on the inside so that he may dwell with you. Friends, Jesus does not renovate, he resurrects. Anybody, anybody with me? He doesn't do a little touch-up. He does a work of transformation. When I was thinking about this and Jesus coming to the home, there is a man that shows up at our house, I'll be honest, more times than I'd like to admit. He usually shows up uninvited. Nobody asks him to come. Nobody, truthfully, wants him to come. But I can tell Julie knows when he's come. My children knows, know when he's there. And they really want to see him leave about the moment he comes around. He wasn't at our house, or he was at our house not very long ago. His name is, his name is Nodnarb. Strange name, isn't it? His name is Nodnarb Seed. And he is moody. He is surly. He, he can get irritable, impatient. He says things sometimes that are unkind. And Nodnarb, let me tell you, he's all about himself. I do not like Nodnarb. I always say Nodnarb seed is a bad seed. And do you know who Nodnarb seed is? It's me. Nodnarb is just Brandon spelled backwards. Seed is D's spelled backwards. So I just decided to give him a name. Because who Nodnarb is, is he's the old man. 
that old nature. Anybody tracking with me? Anybody got a knob knob around your house? You can adopt my strategy of just calling him by name and spelling your name backwards. That would be a fun exercise for you all to do at lunch. Just what would your name be? I did it with a few of you, and it was pretty funny, but I decided not to call anybody out. So, My favorite might be Andrew. He, he would be Wordna, right? So, so any, anyway, we won't, we won't get into that right now. But what I want you to know is that followers of Jesus, you have an old nature. Now, you have a new nature, but that old man's still there, and he will be there till the day you die. And you have to crucify him. How frequently? Every single day, if not every single moment. And he's way down deep. I mean, he's the real you. The old nature is the real you. But now if you're born again, come to faith in Jesus, the Bible says you now have a, praise God Almighty, a new nature, right? Now the Bible says you have to put off the old self, which is deceitful, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of Christ in true righteousness and godliness. Not long ago, Nod Narb was at our house. <coughs> and I tried to leave him at home and not bring him to church. And I've been at home, it was a Sunday afternoon, and, and I don't even really know why Nod Narb came around. It's probably, who, who, it doesn't matter. But in my home, my sin nature was on display, and I left my house and I said, I'm sorry, I've got to leave home and go to church. I've got a meeting. And I went to the truck got my key and put in the ignition and I don't know if I said this out loud or just in my mind but I said I can't be this way when I get to church and then I got that tap anybody know what I'm talking about like a tap on the inside the Holy Spirit just say whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute and not an audible voice not anything written in the sky but I do believe a thought from the Lord entered my mind about the moment I said, I can't be this way when I get to church. And it said, no, no, no. You can't be this way when you're at home. Is this the real you? Anything magical about that door you step through? And now all of a sudden, it's, it's not the location of this church that transforms you. It's the Holy Spirit, right? And then I said, I said, kind of said, that's, that's true. I'll get this cleared up when I get back home. He said, no. You, you're not going. <laughs> right? Anybody with me? Not go it until... But this is the good news of God. This is the way the Holy Spirit works. It wasn't so much... This is, I, and I'm saying this on the basis of my study of Scripture. You understand when I say what God's speaking to me, what I mean by that, right? That He uses His Word to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. So my pattern of thinking changes. And it's not so much that God said, you know, you go back in there and get it. It's we're going to go back in there and we're going to get this right. He's not sending you that you go get he comes with us amen peter or simon andrew james and john entered the house and jesus is coming with them the gospel is not a bit you better shape up it's i'm going to help you because you know what the good news is jesus christ does not have a nognar he does not have an old nature he does not have a sin nature that's how one of the reasons he can help us amen and he can help us way down deep on the inside. So one thing I would like to say to us is this. My home is just as much a place of worship as my church. Makes sense, right? And who I am is who I am when I'm at home. 
and who I am there and who I am here or who I am wherever I go, I want God to be working out the real me, not the make-believe me or the I got to clean up because I'm on my way to church. You understand what I'm saying? I think sometimes we miss this and we have a divided life. There's church me and home me. Now, hanging with me, what's the Bible teach us? Ultimately, the place of worship and our eternal home, do you know what they are? They're actually the same, same place. So if it's the same place, I got to be the same person. Praise God Almighty, it's not going to be long, I don't think. Jesus is going to come back fully trustworthy, same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus, he's taking us home, and eternally that will be a place of worship. So I'm thankful for the snapshot we see of Jesus, that he's faithful, he's trustworthy. He's not one way at the synagogue, and then they go kick back at Simon's house in different person. Amen. Snapshot number two, little caption's going to be, from out of commission to faithfully serving. That's what happens. They get in the house, verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. We can't get through the door of Simon's house before we encounter a problem. Can we just say, behind every door of a home, there are problems. Anybody say amen? The reason there are problems behind every door is because people live there. And people always got problems. Got any problems at your home? I mean, here we'll talk about it a little bit more. There's an issue that has sort of changed the whole dynamic of the house. You got any problems like that in your home? But while every home has a problem, there isn't any problem, whatever it is, behind the door of the house that's greater than Jesus, right? So, so in this case, it's a fever, but it doesn't really matter what would have happened at Simon's house. Jesus would have walked in there and he would have never said, well, I, I, that, that, that problem's got me, I can't figure that out. So a great, a great practice for your home life is to know Jesus is welcome and invited in there, right? In this home, the problem is that uh, the mother-in-law is sick. She's out of commission. She's so sick, she can't get out of bed. The scripture says that she has a fever. Now let me just ask you this. In your own home, when someone is sick, who helps the most? I know it's Father's Day, but you don't have to be bashful. When someone is sick at your house, who's helping everybody? Mama is. Now do you see what the, the problem is? Mama herself is sick. I don't know about your house, but I've never had a sick child come in and say, where's daddy? I've had sick children come and push me physically down, <laughs> saying, where is mama? Mama can't be sick. Mama's sick. Now, Daddy, Daddy coughs, and he's in the bed for a week, right? <laughs> Mama's got bubonic plague. She's coughing into an arm while she's vacuuming and making sure everybody's got everything they need. Now, the Lord's in control of what we preach in Scripture. I, I don't know why he had us here on Father's Day to just encourage us about Mama's, but there, there it is. 
Now it's right here, it's right here that it's helpful to insert this insight about Jesus. Said this before, but as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, you want to hold on to this truth. When Jesus does something in the physical world, it always has a deeper spiritual truth. The reason for this is, when you were born, you were born physically alive. Heart is beating. Ears, your physical senses are sharp, right? But you're spiritually dead. In other words, you have no spiritual perception at all. You can't see spiritual truth. You can't hear the word of the Lord the way that you should. You, what we see, what we feel, everything is off kilter because we're spiritually dead. So, if Jesus is going to, to teach spiritual truth to spiritually dead people, he's going to use physical means. Does that make sense? I want you to see in the physical world things you can see with your physical sight and physical touch that teach you about things you can't see and can't hear and don't yet understand. And so, yes, he's going to heal this lady of a fever, but we always want to ask, is there a deeper spiritual truth? And the answer, of course, is yes. I love, especially when we have that thought in mind of deeper spiritual truth, these phrases, Jesus came, verse 31. Good news, right? He's not far away. He's actually near. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So, of course, we have a glorious physical healing, but there's more going on. We know that there's physical sickness, but there is also such a thing as spiritual sickness. We're going to get that in verse 32. That evening, they're bringing them all sorts of people who have all sorts of issues, but look at the distinction. They brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. They brought him all who had physical issues and those who had spiritual issues. Now, I know that um, you know how to take your temperature, don't you? You didn't have thermometers back then. But you know this. How do you know if you have a fever or not? Now, who, who usually takes your temperature? Still tracking along, right? Still, still mom, yeah. 98.6. And it's concerning when it hits triple digits, isn't it? 100, 101, 102. Been there, up all night. Restless. Child's sick. Just waiting for the fever to break. Praying for the fever to break. Still sick, still, still sick. Now, now, you know how to take your physical temperature. Let me ask you this. Do you know how to take your spiritual temperature? No thermometer for that, is there? How's your soul doing? This scripture lets us know there is something you can do. Do you know what it is? We'll read it again. See if you can take the physical picture and get the spiritual truth. He came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That's why I call this picture from out of commission to serving. What's your spiritual temperature? You, you know what it is on the basis of how you're serving other people, right? Who's the most serving person in your home? Answer, whoever's the most like Jesus. Who's the servingest person in this church? Answer, the person who's most like Jesus. See, in the world, in the world, you, we measure success by uh, who gets served, right? 
in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. He said of himself, I have come not to be served, but to give my life a ransom for many. Your attitude towards serving Jesus in your home, at the church, in your life, is your soul temperature. Some people got fevers. What are they? Out of commission, laid up in the bed, not fruitful, not productive, not helping. They are soul sick. How do you get soul sick? You just love something other than Jesus more. That's how you end up with things like anger and lust and materialism and greed and self-worship. You just laid up, laid out, out of commission. Jesus comes in and heals, but I want you to see that there's an aim behind the healing. He lifts her up, picks her up. Praise God Almighty, I also think that is a picture for us of what will happen with all of our physical ailments. Anybody dealing with or you love somebody who's really dealing with some physical ailments. Well, if you've got faith in Jesus, you can have great confidence. The day is coming. He's taking you by the hand, lifting you up, and it's going to be gone. Amen. See, Jesus lives his whole life serving, whether he's in the synagogue, in the home, on the sea, wherever he is, he's a servant. Here's a statement Jesus never made. I'm so sick of serving. I've made that statement. When my soul is sick. Do you know when Nod and Arb Seed comes up at our house? Do you know when he shows up? It's usually right here on this basis. Happened to you too, doesn't it? I am so tired of doing for others. I'm ready for somebody. And that's when Nod and Arb shows up. So I'm not, I, I, I want a break. I want a break. I, I, I think it's time for someone else. And you know, that's so unchristlike when it happens. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So snapshot number one, from the synagogue to the house, Jesus is the same. Snapshot number two, Jesus, when he heals us, it's always unto service. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Got one more snapshot, number three. I'm going to capture this snapshot from needing help to housing the helper. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, if you're tracking along with us, it had been the Sabbath. Jesus had taught in the Sabbath in the synagogue, and then he walked home. Sundown ends the Sabbath, right? So we're leaving the Sabbath, the day of rest. So you should know they show up in their own minds the first moment they can get there. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, can Jesus heal on the Sabbath? Well, we're going to have that lesson a little bit later on. But in their minds, they thought, well, we'll go to him when we can. Anyway, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. I love this phrase. The whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because... They knew him. And we're going to talk a lot about that statement in the weeks that are to come because we're going to see again and again. Why is it that Jesus keeps telling people not to talk about him? Well, I'll go on and give you the short answer because people are always more concerned with physical healing than spiritual life. (coughs) But for our purposes this morning, a remarkable thing happened at Simon's house, doesn't it? 
I gave a title of this message, Jesus Makes Everything Better, and he does. And they ever come into your house, and it's not going to get better. Jesus makes everything better. But I, I love what happens at this house because I think it's such a great encouragement to what our lives should be about. What happens? Simon's house went from, hey, don't go over there. That's where the sick lady is. Two, we need to go over there. That's where the healing is. Jesus is a healer. And, and the word got out. Verse 33, the whole city was gathered. The script has flipped. It was no longer mom and dad saying, don't go over there. Stay away from that house. To we got to get over there. The house went from keep out to come on, right? The house went from one there needing help to now housing the helpless. And friends, is this not a marvelous picture of what the Christian life should be? You think about what the snapshot would look like, a little door, and just a line at the door, right? People trying to get in. It's the same town, in fact, same house, that we're not long, they're going to take the roof off, right? I mean, this house gets a reputation. You just need to know you get healing, they might take your roof off, and that'd be okay, right? That's going to happen. I'm going to, going to lower a man who's paralyzed down. That's a couple of Sundays from now. We'll study, study that, but the house got a reputation. Can I ask you, have you gotten a reputation yet? What, what, what's the concern about a fever? What happens with a fever? Some of you are germaphobes. You can tell me. Some of you, it's all you could do to be in here and not have a mask on, right? How many of you got the uh, little bottle? I'm going to bring it up and you're going to be like, oh, I, I feel like I want to get it out. You start, and you got the squirt. Some of you doused your children in it, right? <laughs> Stand here. What's the concern with the fever? Fevers spread. Fevers are contagious. Are you seeing the picture yet? Fevers spread and are contagious, but what's happening with the mother-in-law? What's happened with mom? Jesus' healing is never, ever, ever just about you. I just want to get you back on your feet so you can go on your merry little way. No, no, no. Your healed soul is always to be a rallying point for those who need help. Amen. You might see movies like this. I can't call them all to mind. I know I've seen several of them uh, about an outbreak. In fact, I think there is a movie called Outbreak. It came out 20-some-odd years ago and, uh, or Contagion or something like that. And there's always this scene in the movie, right, where uh, they're in Washington, D.C., or they're at the CDC and all these influential and important decision-makers are the military's there and the government's there, and they throw a map on the screen, right? And, man, we've had an outbreak and so-and-so, and there's a red dot. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's always that scene in the movie when they're talking about we got to, we got to quarantine this, we got to contain this, because if we don't, it will start to spread, and they always do that little red dot, and then the red dot becomes a, a circle, and then the, before long, game over, it's spread everywhere, right? Well, well, you could do that with the book of Acts. Little dots starts over there in Jerusalem, right? And all of a sudden, it's in Samaria, it's Judea, it's to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are sitting here, far removed, geographically speaking, from Jerusalem, worshiping Jesus. Why? Because somebody 
healed life, spread the gospel, and it got all the way over here. Anybody, anybody, you call the Jesus fever from somebody, right? Jesus fever doesn't harm, it heals. So here's a simple application question for you. Somebody gets too close to you, what are they going to catch? Right? Ever been around somebody and you say, if I spend much more time here, I'm going to catch their complaining spirit, right? I'm going to catch their bitterness. You know you can spread those things? And they're actually more dangerous than germs. We, we don't have that bottle, do we? But we do. It's called the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? Well, if, if people spend a lot of time with you, are they just going to catch a frivolous life? I see that a lot. Man, God has given you a gift called life. And you've decided to just spend it on frivolous things. So much more to life than this fleeting entertainment culture that we find ourselves immersed in. Is life happening to you or are you happening to life? Do you know what I'm saying? Would someone catch a steadfast hope in Christ from you? Good days, bad days, hard days, <laughs> mother-in-law sick days, best friend paralyzed days, me, myself, leprosy days. We're going to see all that coming here in the Gospel of Mark, but a steadfast hope in Christ. Well, we're going to conclude by just thinking about this mom's story here, right? Bless her heart. She had, she had Simon as a son-in-law. Now, can you imagine that? Nobody's more happy than her that Jesus walked in his life, I can assure you of that. Here's her story. It's real simple. Here's what she may say. I was as sick as I have ever been. I didn't know if I would ever get better. And then Jesus walked in. Anybody here? You got a story like that? I said, man, now my, my soul was as sick and I didn't know if I'd ever get better. So the hardest things in life are the wrong things we try to make our souls better, right? It's the things that hold out some hope. I mean, there's people like that in the Gospels too, you know. A woman with 12 years of bleeding, she spent everything she had, she didn't get better, she got worse. And Jesus walked in. Jesus walked in. Now, here's, here's, here's the obvious teaching from this scripture. The person who needed help and got healed her home becomes a magnet for people who need to be healed. You see that? So if, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's, that's how it's supposed to work, right? Um, you imagine a little bit if uh, people come to her house and she's still in the bed, right? Still got a fever. That the conclusion would be, there ain't any help for me here, right? That's why it's so important, so important, friend, where we started. Synagogue, home, same person. Because what happens is the home, you're sick, but in the synagogue, you act like you're well. People go to the home and say, this doesn't look well. You know what I'm saying. Have you ever really allowed, here's the picture, Jesus, Jesus drew near. And he reaches out his hand, and 
he will lift you up. I don't care how deep the pit is that you are in this morning. His arm can reach all the way down. Like the psalmist said, his arm's not too short to save. It's not like he can get there. Oh, little fingertip. Oh, I tried. The good news is he gets all the way down in the pit with you. You know, I've gone too far. No, you haven't. But his grace doesn't go further still. He said, I can get down there. In fact, um, the wisest way to read the Gospels is to always read them. This is the way they were designed when they were written. Always read them with the end in view. What's the end? Where's he going? He's not going to stay in Capernaum. He's going to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? And it's marvelous that fevers can be healed. And leprosy can be healed. And paralysis can be healed. Physical healing is wonderful. But you know this is an outer man and it's wasting away. And the inside, contained in your physical body, is an eternal soul. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus said, got to be careful how these reports go out. People start showing up and all they want, all they'll settle for is a physical healing that might last four decades and then they step into eternity. I got a much greater work to do than that. I'm going to go to the cross. And, and, the, and the wonderful thing is that Jesus reaches out and touches her, right? She's got a fever. You don't touch people with fevers. Why not? You might get the fever. You don't touch a person with leprosy. Why not? Reaches out his hand and touches that Jesus heals without getting the sickness himself. Truth be told, Jesus never had a fever. He's never had leprosy. Had he chosen to, once he's born in Bethlehem, he could still be walking the earth right now. But he goes to Jerusalem to do what? I'm going to lay my life down. He doesn't die because he got sick. He doesn't die because he got leprosy. He doesn't die because he got some, some, something transferred to him. Why did he die? He took on your sin. The wages of sin is death. And so when Jesus hangs on the cross, the, old, the, the reason he dies, he says, I'll lay my life down to pay for their sin. Anybody here been healed? Sick as you've ever been. Your soul was sick unto death. And Jesus came, drew near, lifted you up. We'll stand together and sing in just a moment. It's been a, a time of response. And here's what I want you to think about. We had three pictures, so three questions to respond to, right? But the scripture helps us. Am I often at home a very different person than I appear to be other places? And you can include the church, right? Question I often ask myself, because the days we live in, do I watch things at home on a screen that if they showed up on that screen, I'd walk out in anger? I can't believe they showed that there, right? It's a good question to ask you. Am I, am I one way? I don't mean that in a legalistic way. I mean, who you are at home is where your heart is, right? The home is where the heart is. Is that so? Am I often irritable at home and try to be nice at church? The real use at home, and again, praise God Almighty, Jesus works way down deep in the inner person. Number two, am I quick to serve others in Jesus' name and for his glory? Honestly, as you show up at church today saying, who am I going to be able to serve today? Who can I teach? Who can I love? Who can I encourage? Whether it's an official title or responsibility or whatever. But I'm going into the church today to serve somebody. Not to be served. I am going to go serve. A good gauge for your soul's temperature is the level of service that you have among your church family and in the world. And then the third is this. What is spreading from me? A fever or hope in Christ? 
if someone comes looking for healing, can they come looking for it at my house? And I mean this, this house. This is the temple, right? Be found in Jesus. Am I somebody that they can come to? Let's stand together right now, and we're going to pray together right now. Then we're going to have a time of response right now. And your time of response might simply be, Father, I am sick, and I want to be well. That might be physical. It might be at the soul level. Lord, I am out of commission. It has been a long time since I served anybody. But you are mighty to save. You are a healer. You can help. So, Father, we pray that we are a church, a body of Christ, that is a house of healing. People can find help. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're faithful. No less power right now than you had on that day. No less authority. Thank you that you who have all power and authority are a healer, and you've healed us by being a servant unto death. So, Father, we pray. I pray for some homes to get healed. Talk about some problems in homes behind closed doors. There's some people here this morning that say, I need some healing help of Jesus. God, help us to respond in a way. Help us to look for you. Maybe we've invited somebody else to come and help, but we need Jesus. We've looked at other means, other people, other methods. Thank you that your arm's not too short to save. Have more of a response time to be prayerful. And a time of healing, we pray in Jesus' name.